Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Uh, we're in the middle of a long series of podcasts on reasons for the evangelistic decline in the Southern Baptist Convention. I presented a message uh, to the seminary back in late August in which I outlined a number of reasons for the decline of baptisms, which I think is a symbol or an emblematic representation of the decline in the effectiveness of personal evangelism. And I've been talking about those factors on the podcast. Now, just to remind you how serious the problem is, uh, baptisms in the Southern Baptist Convention have been in decline for a while, but since 2000, they've been plummeting. In fact, last year we baptized about the same number of people as we did in the mid-1940s. But we have twice as many Southern Baptist churches today as we had back then. So our evangelistic uh, effectiveness is at the lowest it's been in 70-plus years, while the number of churches we have has about doubled. So we have work to do to reestablish ourselves as an evangelistic denomination of churches that are reaching large numbers of people with the gospel. Now, I identified, as I said, 10 factors in the original message about this issue. I've identified 10 factors which were limiting our effectiveness, and I'd like to talk about number six today, and that is lack of public opportunities to profess faith. Now, this is what I said in the original message. In the previous section, I used the phrase, present themselves for baptism, which likely puzzled some of you. In a previous generation, it was unthinkable a Baptist church would end a worship service without a public call for people to profess faith in Jesus and request baptism. This is no longer standard operating procedure for many Southern Baptist churches. It has become so problematic, SBC leaders have designated September 8, 2019 as Baptism Sunday to once again prioritize baptism. Who would have ever imagined a denomination with Baptist in its name would need to be reminded to emphasize baptism? Since congregational worship is a public event, it might not seem directly connected to personal evangelism, but it is for multiple reasons. Most people who make public decisions in worship services do so after an extended period of private reflection and spiritual consideration. Public calls to profess faith in Jesus are the culminating moment of weeks, months, even years of personal work by believers. The weekly call for people to profess faith in Jesus reminds believers of their responsibility to share the gospel. It also reinforces for unbelievers the message they have heard personally from a Christian family member or friend. The absence of this opportunity is regrettably a sign of surrender for many churches. Lack of response during public invitations shames them, so they have stopped extending a public invitation. Lack of response should have the opposite effect. It should motivate us to prioritize evangelism until we once again experience visible fruit from our efforts. Now, let's talk about the issue of public response, our public opportunities to respond to the gospel, to profess faith in Jesus, and in Baptist context, request baptism. First of all, why have we stopped giving invitations? Well, there are probably a long list of reasons, but I'll just identify three. The first are what I call theological reasons. Certainly, the influence of Reformed theology in some forms uh, causes people to not give public invitations. They want to entirely trust in God's grace to bring about a conversion moment in the life of an unbeliever, and they eschew or move away from any kind of means, they call it, of presenting the gospel or of, uh, or of, of facilitating people responding to the gospel. Now, um, 
it's too easy uh, and too uh, it's it's not right to just say it's all the problem with reformed theology. That's just simply not true. Um, I have reformed friends who are incredibly evangelistic, who give a public invitation after every service, who want people to be baptized. So it's not just that reason. But let's be fair. Uh, there are some who are theologically motivated to move away from giving a public invitation. Second, another reason is what I alluded to in the in the in the talk, and that is in the previous message, and that is discouragement. Since no one comes week after week, uh, a public invitation becomes a very discouraging moment in the life of a church. No question about that. But as I said in the previous message, a lack of response should not be uh, discouraging. It should be motivating. It should motivate us to pray, work, and focus on helping people come to faith in Christ and let it be a weekly reminder of our responsibility to do that. A third reason we stop giving invitations is actually a lot more practical, and that is no one knows how to do it well. <laughs> There's a lack of training in this area. Uh, when I teach preaching, for example, at Gateway, I have a, 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 one of my class sessions devoted to uh, leading and uh, leading good public invitations. And most students tell me it's the first time and only time they've ever heard anyone teach on this. And so maybe we need to recapture that not only in the seminary classroom, but in preaching conferences and in other venues where we teach people how to give a good public invitation and facilitate public response to the gospel. So why have we stopped giving invitations? Well, some for theological reasons, some because they're discouraged and they've simply given up because of the lack of response, and some uh, because they just don't know how to do it. They've never been trained, they've never, uh, they've never observed a good model of public invitations, and they just don't know what to do. So why should we confront those reasons and give public invitations? Well, two reasons, two answers to that question. Number one, it's biblical to publicly ask people to follow Jesus. When you read through the Gospels, you will have a hard time finding many examples of Jesus dealing with people about their commitment to him in a private setting. Jesus consistently called people publicly to follow him and then to challenge them to give public evidence of following him by their choices they made as a result of their personal decision. So when you look at the pattern of the Bible, especially the pattern of how Jesus dealt with people, uh, there is an unmistakably clear pattern that it was that Jesus called people to public commitment and he expected them to give public evidence of their commitment. And then a second answer to this question, why should we give invitations, is because it is one practical way to crystallize spiritual commitment. Uh, we're, as Baptist conversionist people, we believe there is a moment in time when you are uh, saved, when you move from being an unbeliever to being a believer. Uh, we, we are conversionists in that sense that we believe there is an instantaneous moment when this happens. Now, there may be a slow buildup. It may take a long time to get there. It may be a very much a processed kind of decision, but eventually there is a decision. And a public invitation is simply one way to crystallize that moment of conversion or that moment of commitment. So why should we give invitations? Because Jesus did. And second, to crystallize public commitment or spiritual commitment. Now, how do you plan or prepare to give effective invitations? Well, the first thing is the entire service the entire worship service should focus on moving people to what I call the decision point. 
That means that the pinnacle or the apex of every worship service is every person making a response to God. Now, in many worship services that I attend these days, this has been inverted. The worship service starts by the worship leaders telling me to have a private relationship with God. So they turn the lights down low, they sing songs to me, and they want me to sit there and either sing quietly or reflect with them. They may have me stand and do that, which for a younger generation seems to be helpful. I can tell you for an older generation, it's a huge distraction. But nevertheless, uh, they want me to have a moment with God, and they want that primarily to be experienced in singing. Now, I'm not opposed to singing. I'm certainly not opposed to a moment with God. But really well-designed worship services do not expect that at the beginning. They build toward that at the end. That means that every element of a worship service needs to be guiding people toward a decision point, guiding people toward the moment when you're going to ask them to do something based on their experience with God in the previous, say, 45 to 75 minutes. Now, that also means that the sermon itself must be designed this way so that the sermon is a part of the larger worship experience and the sermon itself is leading people toward a decision point, which means that in developing the message, every preacher needs to have an answer to this question. What do I want people to do as a result of hearing this message? What do I want people to do? And let me underscore that the first answer to that question is not always be saved. For example... Uh, You may be preaching on the family. You may be preaching on biblical manhood. You may be preaching on uh, money management. You may be preaching on personal holiness. There are lots of themes in the Bible besides be saved, and when you preach one of those texts that has one of those themes, that's the decision you should preach toward or the decision point you're leading people to. Now, stay with me here. Worship services should start as gathering experiences, bringing people toward a deep personal encounter with God. That typically doesn't happen in the first part of a worship service, but it can be facilitated. People can be guided. People can be brought closer to God through singing, praying, scripture reading, and other communal or community aspects of worship. Then the preacher shares the word of God, and he does that in such a way that he narrows the focus even more, leading people to the decision point. The themes that have been introduced in singing, scripture reading, and prayer are now clarified through the word of God so that if you can imagine a giant triangle coming down to a point, and that point is decision point, that point is the point that you're trying to ask everyone to understand and decide about as a result of the worship experience. So... How to prepare for effective invitations or effective public response actually begins in the worship service planning and definitely includes good sermon planning that has a specific objective for the message that is tied directly to the text and that informs the the totality of the worship service so that you're leading people to a specific conclusion. Now, this is why I strongly advocate Uh, Worship service planning and sermon planning be done weeks in advance, not minutes in advance, weeks in advance, so that you have a coming together of music and scripture and prayer and, uh, and testimony and preaching so that it all leads to this culminating moment where you're saying, this is what we're asking you to do today. And as I said, it can be that your specific objective is be saved, but it's likely that your specific objective will be something else 
most of the time in your worship services because you're preaching on things like the family, our money, or some other related issue. And so whatever you do to bring people to decision point on that subject is what the entire service needs to be planned around. Now, when you do this, uh, you still have the opportunity to facilitate a broad response on a number of different issues, and I'll talk about how to do that more in just a few minutes. But I want to talk now just for a few, uh, I want to talk now about um, the importance of asking for a response at the end of the worship experience. So you come down through singing, praying, uh, scripture reading, testimony, and preaching, and now you're at the moment that you've planned for, worked toward, you have everyone at decision point. The first thing I want you to do at that point is create a way for every person to respond. Create a way for every person to respond. We're going to talk about some of those here in just a moment, but it's not just a matter of every Sunday having a come forward invitation. No, you have to think, what's the objective of this message? What am I trying to get people to do? How then can I tailor the response so that every person in the room can make a response at the end of the message? And then second, I want to create an atmosphere or a culture of response, meaning that we facilitate response and we demonstrate that we expect it and we're ready for it. For example, a number of churches do this by having prayer partners ready to pray with people who come forward. I know uh, one particular church in our area that does this extremely well. It's a larger church, and when they give the public invitation, they say, this morning we'd like to give you the opportunity to to respond, and then they outline the different ways of response. And one of the ways they say is, we'd like for you to have an opportunity to come and talk with a prayer partner and pray with them. Would our prayer partner step forward, please? And 20 or 30 people stand up and walk to the front and turn and face the audience. And they are very intentional about having an age range of people, both genders represented, multiple ethnicities, uh, so that they have all kinds of people there so that when people look up there and say, I want to pray with someone, there's someone that looks like me that I could go and pray with, and they make that choice to do just that. That's a creating an atmosphere or a culture where you've communicated, we want you to respond, and we're ready for your response, and we expect your response, and we're prepared for your response. And then, uh, as I said, I want you to call for a response directly based on the message. Now, I also said that you can broaden that response out in some different ways, so let me talk about how to do that uh, just for a few moments. When I finish uh, preaching in a context like I'm describing, where everything has brought us down to decision point, I want to first ask everyone in the room to respond to the specific objective of the message that's been reinforced by everything that's happened up until that moment. In other words, if I'm preaching on the family, The response I'm going to ask for is, I'm asking every person present today to make a new commitment, a fresh commitment, a first-time commitment to being a Christian family. And whatever aspect of that I've preached on that day, that's the exact and precise thing I'm going to ask people to commit to or respond to in that moment. If I'm preaching on missions... I'm going to ask for a missions response. If I'm preaching on money, I'm going to ask for a financial response. If I'm preaching on parenting, I'm going to ask for a response about parenting. If I'm preaching about personal holiness and moral purity, I'm going to ask for a response about that. And the first response and most focused response is going to be on the issue of the message and the worship service that has supported it. Now, once I've concluded that opportunity for response... Once I've led the prayer or I've led them to make a written response or I've given them an opportunity to come forward, whatever I'm going to do, 
Once I've done that, then I want to expand the call and expand the opportunity for response. And it sounds something like this. I would say, thank you for responding this morning on this issue of building a Christian family. I know that some of you have come with other needs today, and you'd like to make another kind or a different kind of response. So if you've come today and you have a personal need that we've not yet addressed, but you'd like for someone to pray with you, I'd like for you to stand up and come forward to one of our prayer partners here at the front of the room, and they're going to pray with you. If you're here today and you'd like to, and you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'd like to tell us that, and you'd like to be baptized in our church, I want you to get up and come forward and tell one of these prayer partners, I've become a Christian recently, and I'd like to get baptized, and they'll help you to know, and they'll help direct you to the right person to make that happen in our church. If you're here today, and during this last few months, you've been really struggling with and considering that God is calling you to ministry leadership. He wants you to be a pastor or a missionary or some other church leader. Why don't you get up and come and pray with someone about that this morning and seal your commitment today? So what I'm doing is I'm expanding the opportunity. Now, I'd like for you to imagine right now two triangles. The first one is the large triangle that is the worship service and the sermon, and it all comes down to the point. And imagine that triangle standing on its head so that the broad part is at the top and the point is at the bottom. So everything we're going to do in the worship service is going to bring everyone down to that decision point. And that point is going to be tied closely to the message and focused on throughout the entire service, and I'm going to ask people to respond on that issue. After I've done that, Then I'm going to transition the public response time and broaden it. So now imagine a second triangle. This time, the points connect. And uh, the large triangle on the top, broad at the top, narrow at the bottom. Now the other triangle is the opposite. It's narrow at the top, the points touch, and then it gets broader as it goes toward the bottom. This second triangle is the other kinds of opportunities I'm going to give people to respond. I'm going to broaden it as the service moves toward conclusion. So... If I'm preaching again, let's say, on personal holiness, I get to the end of the message and I say, everything about this service, songs, testimonies, prayers, preaching, has brought us to this moment where we can make a fresh commitment to personal holiness. And so I'm asking you this morning to do just that. And I can use a number of different ways then to invite people to commit to personal holiness. I'll talk about those in a moment. After I've done that, however, in whatever way I'm going to do it, then secondarily I say, now... Some of you have come today with other spiritual needs and you want to make other spiritual commitments. Now I'm broadening the invitation, see? And I say, if you'd like prayer, come forward for prayer. If you'd like to profess Christ publicly and request baptism, come and tell us that. If God's calling you to ministry leadership and you want to make a commitment, come publicly for that. And this can be two, three, four, five different things that you may outline each week to give people the opportunity to broaden the response that they're making. So... Imagine those two triangles. The larger one is the worship service, which gathers people and brings them to decision point. The second one is smaller and broadens out as it goes along, but it enlarges the opportunities for response that you're giving the congregation based not just on the message, but on other things that they may need to do. Now, what are some ways that you can have people respond? Well, the first one is, of course, to come forward. Now, I realize that this is passing out of vogue, but there's, there is no reason for it to pass out of vogue in, in church usage today. I can take you to church after church after church that's still asking people to come forward, and they're still coming. So one way to ask people to respond is to come forward. A second reason, uh, excuse me, a second way to ask people to respond is to simply stand up. 
So, for example, you might say, this morning I've been preaching about moral purity. If you are willing today to make a fresh commitment to moral purity in your life, I want you to stand up right where you are. Just stand up. And by your standing, say to God and the people sitting around you, I'm making a fresh commitment in this area. Another way to do it is raise your hand. Same thing. If you are making a fresh commitment on this issue that I've been preaching on today, if you're making a fresh commitment to biblical stewardship of your financial resources, would you please raise your hand? Just raise it up proudly and say, I make a commitment today. Strongly, in front of people, I will stand up and say, I commit. All right. Maybe not proudly in the negative sense. You know what I mean. So you can have people come forward. You can have them stand up. You can have them raise their hand. Here's another one. You can say, Will you bow your heads with me as you're seated there and pray a prayer of commitment? And you can even lead people in a prayer of commitment about the specific issue that you've been preaching about. Another way is to say, um, I want you to go to a dialogue room or a response room or an inquiry room uh, to say, if you have questions this morning about anything that's happened in this worship service or about your response, over here to my left, you'll see these double doors, and it's always good if you can have double doors and have them open, the lights on, a smiling person there, so that people don't feel intimidated like they're going into some cave or some dark place or someplace they can't get away from, and say, if you have more questions, please come to this room now or immediately after the service, and we will help you. And then a final way of, of public response or invitation is using a signed card, a commitment card of some sort, where you say, please take out your card and indicate your commitment today. Uh, sign this or check this box or write in the margin what you've done. Now, all of these are valid ways of asking people for public response. So when I say that we give public opportunities to profess faith, I don't just mean come forward, although I do mean come forward. There's not anything wrong with that. But you can use a come forward invitation. You can have people stand up. You can have people raise hands. You can have people pray where they're seated. You can have people go to an inquiry room. You can have people use a commitment card. Now you say, well, which one of these is best? Wrong question. Wrong question. What you have to ask is, which one of these is most appropriate for the worship service we're planning and the message I'm preaching? So, for example, if I'm preaching a strongly evangelistic message to a large number of unbelievers and I'm going to challenge them on the spot to commit to Jesus, I'm going to ask them to either at least stand up or come forward, and I'm going to say, it is your moment to take a public stand and declare your faith in Jesus by doing this. But if I'm preaching a message on financial stewardship, and I'm asking people to commit to tithe or commit to raising their giving by 1% a month for the next year until they get to a tithe, or I'm asking people to commit to giving extra money to a missions project or a building program, I'm not going to ask people to stand up and do that. Uh, I need a, a more definitive commitment from them, so I'm going to use a commitment card on that Sunday. And I'm going to say, this morning, the way I'd like for you to respond is to take the commitment card out of your worship folder or take the commitment card uh, out of the uh, the uh, pew rack or the slot in the seat in front of you, whatever, however you want to distribute them. And I want people to say, now, and then I'm going to say, now look with me at this card, and I'm going to read through the card with them and say, please check the appropriate boxes that indicate your commitment and put your name and email address on this, and we will follow up with you to help you to solidify the commitment that you're making today. So it depends on what I'm preaching and where I'm preaching, the kind of response I, I request. Now, I do a lot of conference preaching. So if I'm preaching at a conference, it's a lot harder for me to print cards and take them and get them there. And I don't really have an inquiry room set up. So in a conference setting, I typically either use stand up or raise your hand or pray in your seat. Those are my best ways of asking people to respond in those settings.
So the answer to which one of these is best is really determined by the nature of the worship service and the message and the decision point you're bringing people uh, to confront. It, it's on the setting, the kind of church building you're in, the kind of conference you're speaking at, or the kind of uh, camp or, or, or a men's meeting or retreat. So you have to think through, what am I preaching about? And what is the worship service leading us to do? And then how will I facilitate that response? Again, it's not a matter of you being able to count how many people came forward or you being able to list the number of people who raised their hand. That's not the point. The point is you're trying to facilitate for your hearers their best response and give them the opportunity to make the best response they can in the moment. So I strongly, I can't say this enough, I strongly advocate public response as a part of every worship service. But it doesn't mean that it has to be one kind of response and it doesn't even have to be one set kind of response week after week after week in your church or your ministry setting. You need to tailor it to what you're actually uh, expecting to happen in that particular service. And you're saying, well, that takes work. Yes, it does. But what else do you have that's more important than facilitating the people that you're responsible for spiritually responding to God every single week? Look, this takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort. It takes prayer. It takes focus. It takes coordination of worship leaders and people who are going to pray and scripture readers and preachers. It, it's, a, it's a hard work to bring together a worship service that leads people to public response and then facilitates that response in meaningful ways. But you can do it. You have to do it. It's your responsibility as a person who's been charged with spiritual oversight of others. Now, one last question. How long should public response last? Well, my general observation is this. Younger uh, preachers and worship leaders tend to extend invitations too long. And older preachers and worship leaders tend to be too brief. I have to be quite frank. The older I get, uh, <laughs> and because of my rather direct personality, uh, the older I get, the, uh, the less patience I have. I just want to preach and say, you want it? You got it? Come on, let's get it over with. I mean, that's wrong. Okay, that's just wrong. So I have to work against those temptations to be uh, presumptuous in the conclusion of worship services. So you have to pr find a prayerful, spirit-led balance between how long or how short, how intense or how casual to be in public opportunities for respond. This is spiritually challenging work. There's no formula. There's no chart. Uh, there's no uh, secret information. You simply have to make the call week by week as you give spiritual leadership in your context. So I'm advocating for public opportunities to profess faith and make response in worship services. And of course, that would include public opportunities to profess faith in Christ and request baptism by a local congregation. I'm challenging you to rethink what you're doing on this and to do it better as you lead on. <music>